You can bet your bippy you're listening to WMNF Tampa, St. Pete, and around the globe at 88.5 on your FM dial. WMNF is your community radio station. This means that we are a nonprofit and we do not play commercials. Keep us commercial free and support your favorite shows like this one by donating. You can even do it now before our pledge drive on February 22nd. Click the tip jar at WMNF.org. The opinions presented on the Healthy Steps show are the evidence-based opinions of Dr. Fred Harvey, the callers, and his guests. These are not the opinions of the staff, the volunteers, or the board of WMNF. The information provided on the show is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. There is no implied patient-physician relationship in these calls. The nature of the calls is educational and informational only. Good morning, my dear friends, and come on into the studio of your mind. The Healthy Steps radio show is about to begin, and you'll only find it here on WMNF Tampa, St. Pete, and around the globe at WMNF.org. Backed by popular demand, Dr. Harvey is representing the hugely successful and interesting AMA show, Ask Me Anything. If you have any medical questions about anything that ails you in your mind or body, or just something that has teased or puzzled your medical curiosity, you are encouraged to participate by calling 813-239-9663 or sending your emails to dj at wnf.org. You can also text us at 813-433-0885. Well, Dr. Harvey, I always find these AMA shows exciting and more than just interesting, actually boarding on fascinating. The topic can lead us anywhere, sort of like a mapless road trip through the expansive terrain of medical anomalies. With the engine already warmed up, I want to turn the steering wheel over to you so we can start this journey of discovery. Well, happy Monday, Bill. It's a wonderful one again. What a beautiful morning it was for a walk, eh? I agree totally. Took the dog on out early. Beautiful. So, um, yeah, we have another AMA show, and uh, I want to start off with a little discussion. I've been thinking about a lot of different things. There's so much in the news and so many things happening that that make us really want to pause and slow down and think about what we're actually reading, what we're hearing, and what it means to us. So I want to start off with a talk about meta-analyses. Meta-analysis is a tool used by scientists to look at large groups of data. And when we do that, um, it does actually manipulate the evidence. So there's a key difference here. A meta-analysis is not evidence. A meta-analysis is opinion based on a review of specific pieces of evidence. The reason I'm bringing it up right now is because there has been some recent, once again, what I would call controversy started up because of using masks to protect us from infections. And so I've seen some news outlets inappropriately discuss the new information or actually reviewed information, a meta-analysis produced by the Cochrane database, C-O-C-H-R-A-N-E. This is a group of um, what some people would label as experts, other would other people would label them as pharmaceutical industry employees. And so we have to qualify what type of experts we're dealing with here because these are academic scientists that are all funded 
by big pharma. And so they may or may not have an agenda, but one of their stated agendas is to review the medical literature and give us opinions about it. Well, I've seen a couple of news outlets say that there's new evidence about masks, and they're wrong. <laughs> there is no new evidence about masks. What there is is a new published meta-analysis by the Cochrane database about mask wearing and respiratory infection transmission. And the Cochrane has, just to qualify this, because um, I don't want to talk about what their supposed results are from this analysis are yet, um, I think that I want to talk about the meta-analysis they did in 2020 regarding hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine, if you remember, when the former president was on stage, he said that hydroxychloroquine works to treat the pandemic, infl inflammatory condition COVID. And indeed, at that time, there was published in the literature a uh, a trial with about 4,500 patients. Now, that's a rather substantial trial. Um, and so most of the other hydroxychloroquine studies were done with in the teens and maybe up to a couple hundred patients, not 4,500. And they were done subsequent to this early, early study that was produced out of Iran. Now, it came from Iran, so you might wonder if first world nations were going to just question that because of where it came from. But you have to understand that second and third world nations don't have as much money as first world nations, so they need to find cost-effective methods of taking care of their populations that would make sense. And so what they discovered in that study was that there was – out of 4,500 people in this study, they shot, showed a 70, 70 percent reduction in mortality by using the protocol of hydroxychloroquine that they described in this paper. And so other nations, other places, France, uh, America, Ch uh, Canada, uh, put together these hydroxychloroquine studies that used insane doses in people who were dying. And the insane doses did what they threatened would happen. They told us, oh my word, if you use hydroxychloroquine, you're gonna get cardiac arrhythmias. So they used, let's see, three times the starting and six times the daily dose of hydroxychloroquine in these very sick people in ICUs and killed them. Yeah, flat out, their, their, their results were worse. But in the other study, it showed a 70% reduction in dying in people that were treated across the board. And so what Cochrane did was they combined all of these studies into what's called a meta-analysis. And then you, you know, smash all that data together. And what happens is you can actually dilute down a very big success with bad outcomes. And that's exactly what happened. And so the Cochrane uh, uh, experts decided to say that obviously hydroxychloroquine doesn't work. Well, in that one study with huge amount of patients, it showed that it worked very well. In all the other studies, it didn't. And so they said, well, obviously it doesn't work. To go back a little bit further, and I'm having, I have to probably contact my uh, uh, federal representative to get this data because there was a page when uh, President Obama was in office, 2015 or so, that talked about homeopathy and the National Institutes of Complementary and Alternative Medicine webpage. And they described an analysis there 
And in fact, it was very interesting because they, they really revealed their technique of how they manipulate data to get people to believe things that aren't real. So they looked at all the homeopathic medicine papers that they could find that were published and hundreds of them. And they came up with um, a thing called a p-value. P-value is a statistical significance value. And basically, it's kind of a, a percentage uh, analysis. Um, and so they say that it's statistically significant. In other words, that it, it's, it's meaningful data, that it couldn't have occurred by happenstance or randomly um, if you have a p-value of 0.05. And 0.05 means that you have a 95%, this is out of 100%, so you have a 95% chance that this was absolutely correct, not random, and is real data. And so they've arbitrarily set this p-value at 0.05. Well, when the uh, paper that was discussed, the, the group of people from this uh, uh, analysis of homeopathy uh, looked at it, they said, well, when we looked at all these papers, we got a p-value of 0 0.0000009, which means there's like one in a million or one in 10 million chance that this was actually random. So they the, the stats showed that by statistical significance, this was highly effective therapy. But then they, they reveal their technique. They said, oh, well, we're going to throw out the papers that we don't like. So they edited out a bunch of the papers. And when they finished their editing and they re-reviewed it, they came up with a statistical significance number of 0 0.07. 0 0.07, from 0 0.00009 to 0 0.07, meaning that they've dropped the statistical significance to the point where they can arbitrarily say, that it's not significant because a 0.07 is bigger than a 0.05. So it means there's a 93% likelihood that this is actually accurate real data. And yet 95% um, um, is what they accept as, as true. And so they went from one in a million to a 93% and they said, oh, it's obviously it, it doesn't work. It's ridiculous because it's an arbitrary number they've set. They could set it at 0.1 and say 90% is good. They could set it at 0.7 and say that 93% is good. But no, they stick with 0.05 because it gets the results that they want from my perspective. So meta-analysis stands for manipulation of data, not just accurate scientific analysis. And so we have to take these things into account when we look at the new information, supposedly, on masks. So again, the Cochrane database went back and manipulated data and they tell us masks don't work. But when you look at the studies, they have studies that in individual situations, like a closed room, somebody that has an illness in a closed room and everybody in the room has masks, actually it's effective. But when you do a population study, like the Danish study is one of the biggest ones they've looked at, it's pretty questionable because not everybody wears masks. So it's pretty likely that when you have half the people refusing to wear masks in public, that you're going to have a failure because half the people aren't wearing masks. So the data was manipulated and they now say that masks don't work. But in actuality, we have evidence that masks work in specific situations, but it's pretty evident that it's not gonna work globally. And it's not a way to actually prevent a pandemic in reality because all it does is delay it. Once people get comfortable and start taking off their masks, or it seems like the amount of infection has gone down and people do take off their masks, then there will be a spike as it happened in New Zealand and everywhere else that was heavily masked. They took their masks off and they got more uh, uh, illness. And that kind of really takes us to 
the interesting manipulation of data and, and uh, opinion that has occurred from the supposed experts from the beginning. You know, they called this group of doctors the dirty dozen disinformation disseminators. I could be one. I wasn't loud enough or well-known enough to be called one, but I was talking about the real data that was going on out there that they completely ignored. And now we do have evidence that we were all actually correct because the Lancet, one of the most respected journals in the world, it's from Great Britain, the Lancet actually has published a paper that says that natural immunity is strong and worthwhile and lasts as much as 14 months, possibly longer and probably longer. So anybody who's had COVID-19 has robust immunity and doesn't need to really worry about the mRNA experiments at this point. Now, there are some people that might want to consider it, but I don't really even know so because the study from the CDC that was published um, at the end of 21 shows that natural immunity and a vaccine uh, has equal effect when you have natural immunity. So if a person has natural immunity and they get a shot, they have no more protection, according to the 2021 study. And so I feel a bit vindicated that we're actually having the common sense knowledge proven in literature now, finally. And I think that's really a very important thing. So um, there are just so many changes happening. It's very tough for the layperson to stay on top of these issues. And it's why I love to do this show, because to understand that there is no new evidence about masks, but there is a manipulated data meta-analysis that gives us an opinion from a bunch of experts that may or may not have an agenda. Now, that's a whole different story. But when you have a clinical research paper that comes out and says that natural immunity is robust and probably better than the shots, you have to actually pay attention. This is real science being produced, and it's actually getting published in peer-reviewed major journals. And so it's time for us to move forward and think. There's a, there's a, uh, a recently published uh, uh, um, um, article in uh, surgical neurology called The Pharmaceutical Industry is Dangerous to Health, Further Proof with um, uh, COVID-19. And their conclusion is, um, by supporting and selecting only one side of the science information while suppressing alternative viewpoints, and with obvious conflicts of interest revealed by this study, this is a clinical study, governments and the media constantly disinform the public. Who's the disinformation disseminator? The Surgeon General, the, the completely deceptive commission on the Financial Drug Administration? Yes. Yes, those are the people that are lying. The rest of us are trying to find truth and they want to suppress our voices. It's disgusting and it's totally driven by capitalism and profit. Think about it. It's the financial drug administration, not the food and drug administration, because they're interested in the finances of pharma, not the health of the population. Furthermore, they say in this study, consequently, the unscientifically validated vaccination laws originating from industry-controlled medical science led to the adoption of social measures for the supposed protection of the public, but which became serious health threats to the uh, uh, threats, threats to the health and freedoms of the public. Another question that comes up is, why are we forcing young adults, women and men, but men more than women, 16 to 24, to get these shots that have no benefit for them unless they're in a risk group and actually risk their getting cardiomyopathy, vascular problems, strokes? Why is it, again, I question, why is it that athletes are dropping from clots, strokes, and other problems like that? Just a question. So, 
Um, yes, I'm trying to actually drum up some um, um, involvement in the show today. Uh, I'm a little provocative, but I think um, I want to hear from people. And uh, we are in listening to the Healthy Steps radio show on Tampa's best radio station, WMNF 88.5 Tampa. Well, ain't that just the truth there, Dr. Harvey? And appreciate you firing on up our listeners out there. And we're going to encourage them to give a call to 813-239-9663 or send your emails to dj at wmnf.org or continue sending your texts to 813-433-0885. Irene's in the control room waiting for your call. So once again, give us a jingle at 813-239-9663. And back to you there, Dr. Harvey. Thank you, Bill. Well, here we have a an email. Um, <clears throat> good morning, Dr. Harvey. My husband has fatty liver, but his cholesterol numbers are all in range. Do you think his total cholesterol is too low at 156? What should he do? Thank you. Well, that's a, a pretty loaded question, but um, cholesterol and fatty liver are not necessarily related. Uh, they can be. But fatty liver is a very different situation. Fatty liver means that you have an ongoing liver inflammation. Something, many things can cause that. But one of the most frequent causes of having a fatty liver is sleep apnea, unrecognized sleep apnea. Sleep apnea causes that because it actually upsets the metabolism of fats in the liver and upsets the metabolism of sugar. Fatty liver is actually driven by poor sugar metabolism because when you do not actually burn the sugar, when your body is not listening to the signal of insulin very well, then you develop a buildup of the sugar inside cells, especially liver cells, and the liver says that can't happen, so it actually creates something called a triglyceride. A triglyceride, so you put three, glyceride refers to the glucose molecule, so you get three sugar molecules stuck together with a choline holding them together, and that is a triglyceride, and so you have this um, different molecule, which is a fat now. You've created a fat out of sugar, and the fat needs to be stored somewhere. So until it can be exported from the liver, it gets stored in the liver. If you have too much of this going on, then you get stuck, and you can't move forward, and you get the fatty liver deposits in the liver. Sleep apnea causes insulin resistance. It makes you have disrupted sugar metabolism. And so you end up developing fatty liver in many cases. Uh, and another thing that will actually drive this is uh, just excess sugar consumption, especially sugar consumption in the form of uh, fructose. Too many fruits will actually avoid the insulin system. Yeah, you don't need insulin to metabolize the fructose. However, you still need to metabolize it. And if it gets backed up, you're going to make more sugar fats. You're going to turn it into triglycerides. You're going to get fatty liver from that. Plus, you'll raise your uric acid. Uric acid is a vascular damager. So you get this combination that's really, really deadly. And so for anybody who has fatty liver, they should really be screened for sleep apnea. They should be screened for insulin resistance. And they should get a uric acid level. And these things will actually help delineate what needs to be done about the fatty liver. So I think we have a caller or two. 
Indeed we do. We're starting to stack them on up. I've got three of them. I've got Jack, Clay, and Twinkle. So let's uh, get going with Clay here. Good morning, Clay. Haven't heard from you in a while. Yep. What's up, Doc? Hey, lots of stuff. What's up with you, Clay? Well, I've enjoyed your uh, analysis of metadata uh, and, and explaining it to us, how they come up with the stupid things they come up with. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. So They're I've actually brilliantly manipulative. It's not just stupid. This is calculated to actually manipulate you into a bad decision. Yeah, well, it, it is working all too well. Yes, I agree. So um, my question about blood plate. Uh, back in 2020, I had a, um, a blood test that uh, gave, listed my blood platelets at 94, with the range being 150 to 450. Of course, that's thousand, uh, thousand, hundreds of thousands, I guess, is what right. are. And um, then I recently had one that it's still down there at uh, 95 now. And I was asking my doctor whether or not there was any method or mechanism in which I could uh, increase my blood platelets. And they told me, uh, emphatically no when they're that low. The only way that I could even come to a place where I might be able to increase my blood platelets was if I were to have a transfusion of blood platelets to get me up into the uh, ranges needed to do so. So I want to know what you thought about that. So what what was your lowest? What do you what do you hover at? Ninety four. Okay, well that's not too bad actually, and and uh, people don't tend to have any kind of bleeding, bruising problems of any great import um, until they go below fifty thousand. Um, and um, I have followed people that have had chronic problems with this and and hover around twenty thousand and never have an issue. However, um, it is unfortunate that um, the people that you spoke with um, don't look outside of the um, medication box because. Um, they don't even look back to causation. And, and that's the difference between uh, illness-based care where you treat symptoms and functional care where you treat humans and function. And so the way we would look at it in functional medicine is to find out why it is that you are having, uh, eat, and my guess is there's, so, so there's two ways to have low platelets. Either you don't produce enough of them or you chew them up, you destroy them too fast. And if your blood count, your white blood count, your red blood count, if they're normal and you have normal cells, the cells shapes normal, they're not too bloaty or anything like that, then it's likely it's not a production issue. It's likely, more likely than that it is a destruction issue. And so what is causing your immune system to rip up your platelets? And the first place I would go is food sensitivities because um, <clears throat> it is, um, when, when you have a food sensitivity, you will make antibodies to those foods. Well, you know, if you're eating animal foods, you know, if, if, and I'm not saying that this is actually what's happening, but if you're eating animal foods, it's a possibility that there's a marker on say red meat that looks like a marker on your platelet. And so then you might actually react to that red meat and then react to your platelet. Uh, one of my uh, favorite patients, uh, and we did do intravenous immune globulin for a couple of years, it's very, very toxic and very, very difficult to actually deal with immune globulin infusions because they're antibodies. So your body feels like it's getting inflamed, like you're having a flu with it. And we did this for about two years until we finally nailed it down. She, she was just experimenting because we did some testing and, and we couldn't find anything, but she just started experimenting with foods and she cut out soy and her uh, platelet levels went back to normal and never needed another treatment. So, 
you just got to be very diligent about what you're doing, mindfully eating and living. Eliminate as many um, uh, toxic substances, you know, from your cosmetics, from your food, uh, and look at the foods. It could be a trigger. Soy could be a trigger. Get food sensitivity testing. It may be of value. Okay, so one of the things I should have done, though, is have them look at the, the white and red blood cells to determine that those that that's not where the conflict is occurring, right? Right. Okay. Right. So then you probably have a destruction issue, not a production issue. Okay. All right. So so is there ways to increase that um, your blood platelets? I mean, I, I just I told you. I yeah. No, I know it's not low, but it's supposed. To be no, no, no. I just told you that the way you do it is by looking at why you're having destruction. Do you have a food sensitivity? Do you have a chronic virus? Like, look at your Epstein-Barr virus levels. Do you have chronic Lyme disease? Do you have long COVID? I mean, there's so many things that can disrupt your immune system and cause this to happen that you need a functional medicine doctor to look at it because you're not going to get a hematologist to look at these things. Okay, so so the, uh, the answer is yes, you can increase your blood platelets if you figure out what the cause of destruction is, if destruction is the cause. Yes, and it's likely in your case the destruction is the cause because your other other blood cells are looking good. Some people have something called myelodysplasia, which means the bone marrow is not making the right cells, and you can see that the red blood cells go down, the white blood cells go down, the platelets go down. It's across the board. Okay. So well, get a so functional doctor and get get looked at. See, see, yeah, explore. The problem with that is my insurance is all I have, and I'm poor, so I can't afford a functional medicine doctor. So then you need to do an elimination diet to start with. So that means you cut back to eating something like rice, pears, and lamb. Um, and then you start increasing your food from those three items. As you uh, uh, add more things in, you'll find out. And one thing I would suggest is you get rid of beans and grain. If you want to do it really easy, do the Terry Walls, W-A-H-L-S apostrophe diet. It's a pyramid. You can find the image as PDF when you go search. Walls diet. It's so simple. You eliminate grains, eggs, beans, and sugar and processed foods, and you might just see your platelets change without having to do anything more expensive than that. Well, thanks so much, Doc. You're a great guy and one of those brilliant people I know. Glad to help you, man. Peace be upon you. Stay healthy. And to you. Well, that's some pretty high lauding there from Clay there, Doctor, and well-deserved. I've got a couple of callers. I've got Twinkle and Jack, but I'm going to give on out the phone number again and remind folks that they are listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. And the topic today is AMA, Ask Me Anything. So go for it if you've got something in the back of your mind or crawling around anywhere in your mind. Give us a call at 813-239-9663. Irene's in the studio waiting to take, not in the studio, she's in the control room waiting to take your call. You can also give us a uh, email at dj at wmnf.org or continue sending texts to 813-433-0885. And I've got Twinkle from Bowling Green here. Good morning, Twinkle. Hi. Hey, Good Twinkle. Morning. Hey, I just, um, I wanted to call and tell you, because uh, you were, when I called, you were talking about the FDA and and capitalism and the <laughs> health sick yes. care. I I just wanted to call and say thank you for being so brave because I know that uh, anybody that comes out against the giant triad gets a pushback. But I'm watching people dismantle themselves in front of me, especially the older I get, and the blind adoration of the medical system and the the 
pharmaceuticals and their bodies are just falling apart and nobody's doing what you do and say, hey, take a look at why, you know, what's going on. And I just, I love you so much. And that last caller is absolutely right. You are one of the most brilliant people on the face of the earth. And the fact that you share all of this with us every Monday is mind-blowing. But I was wondering if you, if there was a way to listen to everything you've ever done and um, all of your shows, you know, and just have them. Because it's just amazing reference. And I really, I just wanted to let you know that. And that in all my, because my personal research, ever since when I was a little girl, and I found out that my dad's mom had died of breast cancer, and I was terrified of dying, so I started yes. researching. And the deeper you go, it's just it's a rabbit hole, and it's like, and then you see how politics and medical system and all this are all intertwined, and it's all about money and the profit and everything. And I, I think that what you're giving everybody on Monday is just an absolute treasure. And I, I do have one question now that I think of it. I was I'm rambling because it's early, sure. but anyway. <laughs> uh, what do you think about human growth hormone and hormone replacements for older women? Excellent question. Um, first, I want to thank you for that wonderful, wonderful um, um, uh, praise. And I want to actually suggest to everybody, because look, we are coming up like uh, Wednesday starts the spring fun drive. The best way that you can support me, the best compliment that you can give me, the best thing you can do to support this show and WMNF is to go to WMNF.org and go to the tip jar and look up H-A-N, which is the abbreviation for health and nutrition. It's under the direct your donation here. And please start now because next Monday I'm going to be doing the fun drive and um, we want to really get a head start on it. So um, please drop something in the tip jar. Keep this station, keep this show going because I love what I do and I want to keep sharing with all of you. Amen. So. Um, as far as growth hormone and hormone replacement, I think that in the perimenopause area, um, uh, there is a really good, strong evidence, uh, um, um, uh, a solid uh, pile of evidence that says that you need, well, you, you don't need, I don't want to use that. It's a hard word. You would likely benefit in a great way from hormone replacement therapy, including estrogen and progesterone and DHEA. I reserve testosterone for women because most don't need it when you actually get the other three in line because their bodies actually make the amount of testosterone from those other three that they need when they're not stressed. Stress is another major thing. So de-stressing actually helps to manage those hormones, helps to keep the cortisol steal from happening, which is when you get stressed, you shift over to making cortisol, the stress hormone, and you don't make as many sex hormones. So you won't turn your DHEA into testosterone. You'll turn it into cortisol. Oh. And so you, there, there's a big piece about de-stressing in, in that time frame and also keeping your inflammation down. So keeping the diet appropriate would be great. Keeping alcohol to a minimum would be appropriate. And then growth hormone, I haven't used as much as I had earlier because it became extremely expensive when some very unethical doctors and pharmacists were prescribing it online. Um, they took away the generic. And so now it's, it's, it's very pricey. And I find that most people don't need it if they, one, get their systems cleaned up, reduce the inflammation, decrease the uh -huh. stress, get the nutrition on board, get the toxins out of the body, and then balance the rest of the hormones and neurotransmitters and do a regular exercise. And you'll find that the growth hormone tends to fall in. I mean, uh -huh. it, you just don't need as much for growth 
when you're already matured, you need it for maintenance. So you don't need as much. And if you have everything else working well, I don't think we really need to do that much growth hormone replacement because it can push your systems where you don't want them to go if you're already out of balance. And that's the people that I've seen have problems. They just use growth hormone as a, as a, as a treatment and they end up getting worse because they haven't cleaned up the foundations. So it's accelerating other bad things instead of yes, things. right? Exactly. You're so smart. Anyway, thank you so much. I'm going to get off and let somebody else get there. But we totally are blessed by you and WMNF, and and thank you to your uh, what's what's your assistant, your friend, your partner? What's his name? I'm, I'm Bill. Well, hey, yeah. one sense. I love your voice, and you always say kind things at the end. And so, thank you to you both, and. Um, have a wonderful day. All right, and not so fast there, Twinkle. I've got something going back to one of your earlier uh, questions about how to access the um, litany oh. of uh, shows that the doctor oh, has yes. done. So if you go to WMNF, if you type in in Google search WMNF Healthy Steps Show and then click on the link, you'll get to the page, the WMNF page for the Healthy Steps. And on the right-hand side, it says Listen on Demand. And you can choose any date that you want. And there's a little red window. And if you right-click on that red window, you can actually download the shows themselves. So you can get the last two years or so of the shows for Dr. Harvey. That's fantastic. Thank you, Bill. We do it for people like you, Twinkle. I love it. Thank you. Bye. All right. Take care. And I've got uh, Jack from Orlando. He's... uh, Got a question about medications about the immune, the immune system. Good morning, Jack. Okay. Good morning. Um, I have a question. I'm a seven. I'm 72 years old, mm-hmm. and I think that I have a well-functioning immune system. I do have moderate to severe psoriasis, which is uncomfortable. I've been to the dermatologist. There have been a couple of medications that they've recommended I take, but in researching it. They all seem to involve suppression of the immune system. That's correct. I'm very afraid of taking them. I'm, I'm facing the possibility of either itchy scalp or a suppressed immune system. Any homeopathic or other remedies that might be effective? Good question, Jack. Exactly up my alley. So, again, you just described a condition that dermatology treats with symptom control. So they want to suppress your immune system rather than discovering why your immune system is pissed off. So psoriasis. Um, psoriasis is a lymphocyte-driven autoimmune problem, and it is driven by T lymphocytes. T lymphocytes are your memory cells, but they also are ones that go into the skin. You have a lot of T, T lymphocytes in the skin. And so what happens is something triggers these T lymphocytes to get aggressive. And once they get aggressive, they um, start to invade certain areas. I don't know why they choose extensor surfaces like your elbows, your knuckles, and your scalp, but that's where they tend to congregate. And when they do, they infiltrate the the dermal layer of the skin, which is under the epidermis, under the surface that we feel. It's where the blood vessels and the immune cells and, and the origin cells for making the superficial layer of skin happen to be. And they're triggered and they infiltrate there and they come in in layers and keep layering more in there. And um, so the reason you get red is because you have an inflammatory process with T lymphocytes, but you also have a thickening because you have so freaking many cells moving in there that they've actually raised the roof, essentially. And so you start flaking off more skin because it's really active there. 
Why is this happening? Well, there's a really interesting test that I do called the ELISA ACT test, E-L-I-S-A slash A-C-T, developed by a guy named Russell Jaffe, brilliant scientist. And he's got some, uh, just his ideas there are great. There are other companies that have done a knockoff on it, but they aren't as accurate because with the uh, ELISA ACT test, we must do a very strict prep for it. In the week prior, you can't use uh, uh, anything that contains sodium lauryl sulfate, that detergent that makes your uh, toothpaste froth and makes your your um, 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 uh, shampoo foam. That and many other chemicals are not allowed because they trigger the immune system. And so it's really a cool test, and it can help show us why you trigger but one thing you can do, because we know it's an autoimmune disease and you don't need to actually go do the tests immediately, you can do a diet like the Walls diet. It's a clean diet. It actually reduces the immune reactivity. At the same time, you need to get these toxin, toxic things out of your environment. Like you don't want sunscreens that have oxybenzone or avobenzone or homosalate or um, uh, many of these other weird petrochemical things. Titanium oxide is the only thing you want. But you want organic base too. You don't want the things that have all those weird petrochem chemicals in there for the for the carrier base you want to get rid of all your fragrances get rid of gain and tide unless it's unscented tide and nobody wants gain that's unscented because they'll buy it for that toxic addictive scent throw it away it's poison i hate smelling that excuse me that stuff (laughs) when i walk around on my walk in the morning it's disgusting and foul and it pollutes my atmosphere but there are lots of ways you can deal with this, but I don't think that it's actually just finding another bullet remedy like vitamin D or something to try for that psoriasis. You need to go deep and change your physiology. Thank you very much. You're so welcome. Getting some great questions and comments today there, doctor. So Indeed. let's go and see what uh, we've got Chris for us. Hey, Chris. Hey, good morning, doctor. Talking about your evocative statements earlier, the it was scientific rigging, um, and the, you're talking about the disinformation dozen that uh, I, I know there's the Trusted News Initiative that wrangled in a lot of these uh, social media networks in order to get them to tell what the government, have a direct line from government to them to get them to ban information. And so it is censoring when government is involved. I know Agreed. When, when, a, when a corporation does it, but it, you know that banning is, is a private act and and censorship is when the government does it so um you know you have these uh, testimonies uh, these hearings going on now and uh, you know with the former twitter executives one of whom was a lady was saying that she was uh, injured and in, from the covid whatever covid shot she got and yes and uh, she's having to suffer from it but um you know on a lighter note uh, at the uh, you know with all the scientific rigging i i think that uh, at the next march for science we should start a chant maybe what do we want Science. When do we want it? After several double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized, crossover, multi-centered, paid-off, peer-reviewed studies that no one has been able to replicate. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, I, but we need to trust what we hear and see in the community about you know, certain drugs or treatments over waiting for a study to say so. And uh, I remember back on July 4th, you had mentioned uh, Nuremberg, that, uh, you know, the, the right to bodily autonomy and, and uh, not to be experimented on, coerced into experimentation as embodied in Nuremberg Code, among other international law. But so uh, we don't have the allies anymore to infer, enforce that. 
you know, enforce the fact that because we are a signatory to this treaty, the Constitution is being broken, but we don't have anyone to uh, be willing enough in government, apparently, to enforce it. You know, you talk about the disinformation. The disinformation was that when we knew better that the COVID shots would not prevent infection from the emergency use authorization that when it was first applied for by Pfizer and Moderna, and yet you have so many in government saying that you will not get COVID if you get the shot, like Fauci and Walensky, uh, you know, CDC director, Biden. They're still saying that. They're still saying that. Walensky is still saying that. I don't know why she continues to lie when she knows for a fact that it's not true. I hadn't the only thing that the only thing that I can see in any of the literature is that the shots are good to prevent you from getting severe illness and death. That is so that's why we should limit the shots to people who are at risk that want them and not to people that aren't in risk groups because the likelihood of you dying is 0. 0.0001 if you're not in a risk group or even lower. And so yeah, yeah I, I'm really really upset with with the way the government's lying to us. And you can't get into the country still, can't come in legally without uh, a COVID shot. But so you oh, that's know, just about that's just about um, um, uh, bad immigration policy. This is just another way to limit people coming across our borders because uh, we, we don't want that. This, this is this is where we are right now. We've got to keep those foreigners out of here. We've got to keep those potential terrorists out of here when we have more domestic terrorism than anybody invading our country. Nobody wants to come and invade this country. They know that we have too many guns. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I think it's more about get every shot in every arm, like they said they wanted to at all costs. And that's and, about uh, more of the same kind of control, though. Right? Because uh, you know what? People from people from people, people from countries south of the border, people from countries that are third world and second world, don't have the money to get the shots, so they're effectively banned. This is this is mm -hmm. capitalistic racism. This is white supremacy in action. Well, I mean, I would say that fascism, as I've said before, because there's no liability for the shots. The, and if you're mandating somebody do it or coerce, coercing them into doing it, then the, why isn't there liability? If it's such a safe product, after all this time, you'd think uh, they would have worked out the kinks, but it just came Right. Well, you, you and I agree that we live in a fascist nation, Chris, and, and that, that's a real issue. But, hey, do you have any other specific health points? Because I, I, I really yeah, want to yeah, – we're getting down the end. Folks, Check out the dying, uh, dying suddenly, or all-cause mortality, or excess deaths. How they're so far up uh, over these last couple years across the world and countries that are more heavily uh, hit with recipients of the COVID shots. And so, uh, you know, you can see that if if there was COVID that was causing deaths in the past, well, if the shots were to, were to have taken care of them and. Oh, we're supposed to have life well, back. No, to they, it's not going to though, Chris, because the shots do the same thing that COVID, that, that the coronavirus does. It puts co uh, spike protein in your body. That's what yeah. causes the inflammation. That's what right. causes the problem. I want to get Dr. Bruce Patterson on here to talk about the reservoir of COVID spike that's in macrophages. That is what actually causes long COVID. Very exciting talk. We have to talk about it because the COVID spike persists after the shot, and you can document the COVID spike in the body. He has the test. This is really good stuff, but I thank you, Chris, and I want to move on to yeah. James. Well, yeah, and also antibodies against the spike protein. I interviewed a doctor yeah. yesterday about that, and uh, you know, he's saying that it doesn't go down over time at all, so he, his patients continue to need treatment. But um, you can you can actually get it to go down by treating it and stopping the spike protein, and Patterson has the methods. He's actually tracking them going down, and I've seen it too. It's 
fascinating and really great stuff. We're at the precipice of some really, really good things here because of Patterson's work and other people like him. Yeah, well, I'll message him and see if I can urge him to come on your friendly radio show there. And, and, uh, and also, you know, lastly, I just want to say, you know, if the government didn't know that the COVID shots don't prevent infections, I have a list of all these other publications that were reporting it throughout the last two years, like yes. Pfizer and Moderna themselves, the World Health Organization, the British Medical Journal, New York Times, Public Health England, New Scientist, WebMD, Daily Mail, Daily Express, The Guardian, Wall Street Journal, Sky News Australia, and Fauci himself. So I've compiled yes. a list of this, and they're still not paying attention to the science. I appreciate yes, you really. and those who do. Hey, Chris, send that over to me if you would. I'd love to see your list. That's awesome. Okay, we will do. Thank you, my friend. All right, take care. Bye-bye. You too. Yes, indeed. We do have James on the line here. He's been waiting patiently in Ruskin. So let's see what James has to say. Good morning. Oops. Sorry. Yeah, we lost him. Call back in, James, if you'd like. In the meantime, I've got some emails. So this one's from Jeff. I caught COVID for the first time a little over three weeks ago. I was not vaccinated. I had a fever for about four days. A doctor told me that once the fever goes down, I am okay. I have gotten better, but I do not feel completely healthy as I'm still suffering from a lot of mucus and a lot of uh, congestion causing coughing. Is there anything I would recommend for dealing with this current condition? Also, some people are telling me that I still need to get vaccinated. I know that they're saying that natural immunity is effective. I'm just trying to take in the information and figure it out for myself. Well, you survived COVID, Jeff. Therefore, you do not need to have an injection. You are actually at a better, more robust immunity than any of those injections could do for you. And remember, all that the injections do is prevent severe illness and hospitalization and death. So you've, you've made it through. I would recommend using something like the FLCCC protocol or the protocol that I have on uh, my website that is the, basically it's, it's nutritional support. Um, vitamin D and zinc and quercetin, um, um, lots of fluids, uh, protease enzymes, really good thing. Um, uh, protease enzymes help to chew up some of the extra stuff you have laying around there. I think, um, that, uh, helping, uh, expectorate is a really good thing. And you can do that with N-acetylcysteine, NAC. 600 milligrams three times a day is a really good mucus loosener. It helps to um, move that along. And so um, other, um, uh, I, I like an herbal combination called um, Breathe Free Blend. It's from Wind River Herbs. And um, uh, um, also a very common Chinese herbal for nasal congestion, if you're having still a lot of that, is Bian Pian, B-I-Y-A-N-P-I-A-N. A very nice herbal decongestant. doesn't make you jittery like Sudafed does. So uh, I think you're on the right track. But if you still have symptoms beyond a month, body aches, fatigue, uh, probably not the respiratory stuff because that does sometimes take a while to get get gone. But we're also in the midst of oak and uh, other uh, cedar, other pollen season here in Florida. So if you're here locally, then that may precipitate a continued mucus production from weeks and weeks after you're done with the other thing because your immune system is already upset and your your nasal passages are still reactive. So using a neti pot uh, with the salt and soda, baking soda combination uh, um, for the uh, fill of the neti pot will really help to break up that mucus. I think well, James is back on the line. He certainly is, and I want to tell folks that we're in the sort of the lightning round here, down to about the last seven minutes. So let's see what James has to say. 
Good morning, James. Hello. Hi there. Uh, I'm HLA B27 positive and have been diagnosed with reactive arthritis. And yes. I had a terrible time with uh, iritis and uveitis. Massive doses of steroids wasn't, wouldn't even phase it. And I ended up on azathioprine. And oh, yes. COVID, COVID came out. I got off the azathioprine. The iritis hadn't come back. Should I start back up with my rheumatologist and try and get back on it? That's a very good question. Autoimmune disease. Um, you know, it's not a permanent label. You have a predisposition to this process, but things will trigger it. So an infection with um, a atypical bacteria like chlamydia or mycoplasma, an upper respiratory infection, might trigger um, a recurrence of an HLA-B27 associated autoimmune problem. However, um, once it goes into remission, it might stay in remission and a potent immune suppressant drug like azathioprine may actually just do that for you. So you may be in remission and not need anything else. But here's the deal. If you want to stay in remission, you want to do what I was describing earlier for cleaning up psoriasis. Do something like the Walls Protocol diet because it's an anti-inflammatory diet. If you get rid of the gluten, you get rid of the sugar, you get rid of the eggs, you get rid of the dairy, you get rid of the beans, these things actually are inciting for the problem. They will stoke it, just like the former guy stoked January 6th. He got everybody inflamed, and that's exactly what would happen with these chemicals going into your body. So limiting alcohol, limiting artificial ingredients, uh, fragrances, uh, antibiotics, um, and uh, uh, all these uh, added foods. Look at the Walls diet. I think you'll get significant improvement using that, James, and you won't need to actually go back on an immune-suppressing drug. Oh, well, thank you. What was that diet, Walls diet? W-A-H-L-S apostrophe. Terry Walls is a doctor who put her multiple sclerosis to remission using this diet because the medications did not work. Wow. Uh, one more quick question. Yes, sir. Uh, does HLA B27 positive tissue type yes. provide any protection against uh, diseases of any kind? Not that I know. What it does is actually make you susceptible for some autoimmune diseases. So it actually uh, may not be of any benefit at all. But I don't know of anything beneficial because Western medicine, remember, their purpose is to uh, – uh, look at disease, describe disease, name disease, blame disease, and tame disease with a pill. And so, since it's all about disease, they don't know if the HLAB 27 has a benefit for you because they don't look at that. Well, I've, I've been told before and read it on the internet that it does provide some protection from common codes to uh, uh, a couple other things, but you know. It, it just may. That's interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't read it yet. I'll have to go look. And one of them even said something about HIV prevention. So that fascinating. That the only thing I know that actually prevents HIV is having a mutation called um, CCR5 Delta 32. Um, CCR5, very interestingly enough, is actually the um, um, a protein marker that actually is associated with chronic COVID. Truly, and so people that have CCR5 Delta 32 that can't get HIV probably can't get COVID either. Hmm. Yeah. But wow. um, anyway, thank you, James. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. No callers at the moment, so back to emails. And I got an anonymous one. And yes, 
Mr. Anonymous, <laughs> I do watch Tucker Carlson because I need to know what that creepy racist is saying. And so my just a question statement was a well done mate. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Uh, I think it's an effective tool because I'm just asking questions here. <laughs> um, so, um, what uh, do I think of pumpkin seed oil, saw palmetto stinging nettle? Um, so nettle root, saw palmetto and pumpkin seed oil can be helpful at treating the enlarged prostate. One of the other things you can do is exercise regularly and decrease the amount of alcohol you're taking in because the alcohol can actually convert your testosterone, help your liver convert your testosterone to estrogen. And estrogen is going to make your prostate grow just like estrogen makes your breasts grow, which in alcoholic men, they actually find that large breasts or gynecomastia occurs from the alcohol conversion to estrogen of the testosterone. So those are some things you could do to help treat the prostate. Also take vitamin D, curcumin, um, uh, fish oil. None of these actually uh, uh, cure prostate cancer or benign prostatic hypertrophy, but they help overall with the uh, uh, prostate health. Um, let's see. Here's a question. Oh, are cinnamon tablets beneficial for people who have prediabetes or diabetes? And uh, Pete, yes, uh, that's a good question. Uh, cinnamon is one of the many um, nutrients that can help you balance. But I've got to run now because I just realized it's 10.59. Next week, we're going to talk with Sarah Weiner, um, a uh, functional medicine health coach, to understand how functional medicine health coaching works with um, my practice and with functional medicine practices. Thanks so much, everybody, for a great hour. Well, thank you, doctor, and I'm certainly looking forward to next week. I think that uh, better understanding of functional medicine is great for all of us. And before we put the show to bed, I want to thank Irene for answering the phones and say to everybody, until next week, Monday at 10 a.m., I want to thank again Dr. Harvey, Irene, and all of our listeners for participating. Stay healthy. You have been listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. Coming right on up is 5 Minutes of NPR News, and then get ready for the Sustainable Living Show hosted by the Cracker Jack team of Kenny Coogan and Annie Ellis. And until next Monday at 10 a.m., thank you for supporting and listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa, your community-conscious radio station. Stay safe, stay thoughtful, and know that you are loved. Music